0: congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if you've ever done something wrong to someone and then wondered what their response, what their answer would be if you confessed and if you apologized to them, if you asked them for forgiveness, what will they say? How will they respond? Will they forgive me or will they they ignore me? Will they They treat me with suspicion. Will they turn their back on me? Sometimes we can wonder that even after they've told us they've forgiven us. Have they really, have they fully forgiven me? We can have all these these kinds of questions, questions that, that can fill us with fear and anxiety, questions that can make, when we think about going to them, questions that can make us, make our hearts beat faster, and our palms begin to sweat. And sometimes we can struggle with the same sort of questions. The same kind of fear and anxiety about God's response to our repentance from sin. And it can be a, a hard struggle for all kinds of reasons. It could be maybe that we've been experiencing God's chastening hand, His, his discipline. And it's been hard, it's been painful and And it's hard for us to to think that He will respond to us then with grace. Or it it could be the kinds of sins that we've committed and lived in, whether it's a long time ago in the past or perhaps more recently. It could be a struggle that we're we're going through right now, a struggle with, with a particular sin a sin that we are truly repented of that we are sorry for a sin that we are seeking to put to death a sin that we are seeking to mortify but it hasn't been easy and if you're honest you'd have to say i failed at different times perhaps even as you look back on this past week you have to say i failed maybe it's maybe it's not a particular sin but it's just a fresh realization of how sinful you still are by nature, in spite of your desires, in spite of your your efforts, how far you still fall short of the perfection that God's law requires and that your heart by grace desires. You've heard the Lord's gracious call to return to Him the call that Joel 2 verses 12 to 17 proclaimed to us last week. And you've sincerely and you've wholeheartedly turned from your sin in faith to God. You've humbled yourself before Him. You've prayed from your heart for His forgiveness, His mercy and His grace. But doubts, fears, questions still nag you. How will He answer? How will He respond? How has he responded? Well, the answer from our text for this morning, Joel 2, verses 18 to 27, is very clear. The answer of our text, which we hope to see, is this. The Lord responds to repenting sinners with abounding grace. That's the lesson our text this morning so clearly teaches, and that's the lesson congregation the Lord's table this morning also so wonderfully confirms. The Lord responds to repenting sinners with abounding grace. And so with God's help, we want to consider our text under the theme, the Lord's gracious response to repentant or repenting sinners. We'll notice three things about his gracious response. First, how ready he is with it. How ready he is with it. Second, how generous he is in it. And third, in this third point, we will uh, consider in our table meditations together how reassuring he is of it. And so we begin with seeing how ready the Lord is with his gracious response. And we we look here especially at verses 18 and 19, and I invite you to have your Bibles open if, if if they are not yet, and follow along. Verses 18 and 19 declare, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land. And pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no longer make you a reproach among the heathen. What these verses show us, congregation, especially verse eighteen and, and the first part of verse nineteen, is how ready the Lord is to respond to repentant sinners with abounding grace. Notice notice first of all how immediately He answers. Verse 18 comes after verse 17. And verse 17 is is the prayer that the priests were directed to pray, saying, Spare, have pity on thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? This is a prayer, congregation of repentance. A prayer as we saw last time that humbly pleads for God's mercy not on the basis of anything in the people but only on the basis of God's honor and God's glory and God's covenant. And now right on the heels right on the very heels of this prayer the Lord responds immediately with his promises. Promises so full of grace. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. You remember that parable? How when that son repented of his sin and he came back to his father, how his father saw him a long way off and he had compassion. And he ran and he, he fell on his neck and kissed him. And then how he, he, he brought him home and he immediately threw a feast. Because as he said, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. How immediately the father responded to his son's return. How ready he was to show grace. What a picture. What a picture of God the Father in heaven who so clearly in our text responds not reluctantly, not slowly, but immediately to repentant sinners. Doesn't the table, doesn't the table set before us, a table that's set for repentant sinners, regardless of whether or not you can sense God's love for you right now, right at the moment, doesn't the table set before you Confirm how ready he is to show grace. But we see the Lord's readiness to respond with grace, not only from how immediately he responds, but also how intensely he responds. Verse 18 says, The Lord will be jealous, or you could, you could translate it, zealous for his land and pity his people. Congregation, these are are strong words, words that reflect the the intensity of God's sovereign love, of God's desire, of God's compassion. And the point we need to see here is this. God's gracious response to repentant sinners is not the cold response of an indifferent and unconcerned God. No, it's the passionate response of the loving Lord, the God who, who in His love and His mercy is faithful to his covenant, faithful to his promises. And every Lord's Supper that is administered confirms that same zeal, that same pity, that same intense love and compassion of God for repentant sinners. What does that mean? It means that if you came here this morning, as one who by grace has turned from your sin and has turned to God. But perhaps struggles, struggles with fear, struggles with anxiety about the Lord's response to your repentance. The solution is not to stay away from the table, the solution is to come. Christ said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, also you who are heavy laden with your burdens, with your anxiety, with your weakness of faith, with your fear, and I will give you rest. The solution is to come. It's the only way to find rest. One, way, one more way our text shows us the Lord's readiness to respond to repentant sinners with grace It's in how definitely he responds. You see this in the Lord's first few words in verse 19. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people. Say what? Behold, meaning pay attention. I will send you corn, wine, and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. Do you hear how definite God's gracious response is here? He doesn't say, I might send you corn and wine and oil. No, he says, I will send. And actually, more literally, the Hebrew says, behold me sending you corn and wine and oil. It, 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 it's a way of emphasizing the certainty and the, the imminence of this promise. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, if you, you think of when there's natural disasters like, like Hurricane Ian and in Florida, thing, when things like that happen, how sometimes you'll see uh, on, on the news that uh, the president signs a, a disaster relief bill promising to make help available for people suffering from, from such disasters. The, the, new, the news media videos him signing the bill as if he's saying to those in need, behold me, signing this bill. This is how ready, how ready I am to help you. That here in our text, congregation, it's, it's not a president, but it's God. God calling us to focus on him not signing a bill, but sending corn and wine and oil to satisfy his repentant people. As a picture, you see, as a picture to help us to see how ready he is. How ready he is to respond with abounding grace to our repentant sinners. There's no maybe, there's no perhaps, there's no uncertainty. I will. And in the Lord's Supper, the Lord, as it were, calls us to behold him. The focus of the Lord's Supper is not on me as your pastor. And it's not on you. It's not on your feelings. The focus of the Lord's Supper is on him. Dear believer, this morning we are called to behold him by faith. The one whose body was broken for us. The one whose blood was shed for us. We are to behold him by faith, giving you, giving us the bread and the wine and saying to us, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You are called to behold him by faith as he gives you the cup and says to you, this cup is a new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's about beholding Christ, seeing how ready he is to show grace, to show grace to repenting sinners. I love what Calvin says in his commentary on on these verses. He says this. God will meet you. Speaking of repentant sinners. God will meet you. No, He has already met you. He doesn't wait until you have done all that you ought to do. But when He bids you to come to His temple and to weep, He at the same time wipes off your tears. He removes every cause of sorrow and anxiety. This is our God. But what about my guilt? What about my shame? What about the spiritual barrenness I feel? What about my sins and my sinfulness? What about the sins that I've committed against His grace? Oh, my need is so great. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But so was the need of the people in Judah. And yet God was so generous. God was so generous in his response to the repentance. And so we come now to our second point. How generous the Lord is in his gracious response. We see this in verses 19 to 24. A section which begins with the Lord promising to send grain and new wine and oil and ends in him promising a rich harvest, the floors, meaning that the threshing floors, he says, shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. Doesn't this tell us how generous, how generous God is in responding to repentant sinners? He responds to, to our great need, not with little grace, not with drops of grace, but with torrents of grace, with abounding grace, with superabounding grace. Notice just three ways in how this is so from our text. In His grace, He reverses His judgment. He reverses His judgment, not partially, but entirely. Remember the situation the people were in. You Look back with me at, at Joel 1 verse 10. Joel 1 verse 10. It says there, The field is wasted, the land mourns, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languishes or fails. Why? Because of the locusts, remember? Because of the drought. These were the judgments of God on the people for their unfaithfulness to him. But what happens? What happens when they repent? What happens when they return to the Lord? God reverses His judgment. He gives back. He gives everything that they had lost. The corn, the new wine, and the oil. They go from being empty to having plenty. They go from starving to being satisfied. He reverses his judgment entirely. And with his reversal of judgment, the Lord also completely removes his anger. At the end of verse 19, the Lord says, I will no more make you a reproach or a disgrace among the heathen. Why had they become a reproach? Why had they become a disgrace? It was because they had sinned against God and, and so that was part of their punishment. God in His, in his righteous and holy anger had, had been punishing them, had been disciplining his, his people. But now no more. Now He will turn His anger away. The sign of that is what he does with that northern army in verse 20. Commentators debate about who this army is. Is it the locust? Is it the army described in the first part of chapter two? Is it something else? Whatever it was, it was obviously an enemy. And, and, and for Israel, for Judah, the enemies, when enemies afflicted the land, invaded the land, especially in, in, in Joel, it was a con. It, it was a symbol of God's anger. The, the army was the instrument of God's anger. But once it has accomplished his purposes, once it has brought the people to repentance, the Lord promises, I will remove the northern army. How far? How far will he remove the northern army? Far off from you. And he continues, I will drive him into a land that is barren and desolate with his face toward the East Sea. That's a reference to the, to the Dead Sea on, on the east so his face toward the East Sea and his hinder part or his, his rear guard toward the, toward the utmost or toward the Western Sea, referring to the Mediterranean. So he's saying that this army that has been afflicting you, that has been the instrument of my, my, my chastening, my discipline, my anger, I'm going to send far off and I'm going to divide it. But not only that, it's going to be completely gone. It will die and will totally disappear. His stink shall come up, it's, he says, and his ill savor shall come up. Those are words, the, the, the words there refer to the smell that comes from dead and decaying things. The point is, congregation, the point is that in response to the people's repentance, there will be nothing left. Nothing left of God's anger. He removes it completely. Do you see with me how generous, how generous the Lord is in His grace? He reverses His judgment so entirely. He removes His anger so completely. And one more thing to note from these verses, He restores His favor so thoroughly. In verses 21 to 23, the land, the beasts of the field, and the children of Zion are all called to fear not, to not be afraid, but to be glad and to rejoice. Why? Because the Lord has done. Because the Lord does do. Because the Lord will do great things. Because he restores his favor so thoroughly. He, he, he restores and he, he renews his entire creation he restores food for the livestock by causing the pastures, pastures that in chapter 1 had been devoured by locusts and, and, and drought and fire, by causing these pastures to spring up again. By causing the trees that have been stripped bare by the locusts, that have been withered by the drought, to, including those fig trees and the vines that supply the, the oil and the, and, the, and the wine to bear fruit. Yes, he sends the necessary rain, not just the former rain but the latter rain also to make the crops to grow. In his faithfulness, you see what that's saying? In his faithfulness, he takes care of every single detail. No blessing is left out. And the result, the result is described for us in verse 24. The floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats, the wine vats, shall overflow with wine and oil. It's an overflowing abundance of the very things that the people had lost because of their sin. That's how thoroughly the Lord restores His favor. So what's, what's the message? What's the message of this text? Well, the message for us today is not, is not that God is going to give us physical and material blessings necessarily, like good harvests and and enough food, like the right amount of rain, like the destruction of physical enemies and so on when we repent, when we come to Him, when we turn to Him in faith. No, these physical and material promises in the Old Testament were given to, to the people as pictures. Pictures, signs of a spiritual truth. The truth that the Lord doesn't hold back His grace in response to repentant sinners. But he answers them generously. He answers them with torrents, with, with super abounding grace. He entirely reverses his judgment. He completely removes his anger and he thoroughly restores his favor. And so the physical, those physical and material blessings, that's what it is pointing to. There were pictures given in the Old Testament, but but that doesn't mean that, that we have no pictures in the New Testament. Because God has given a picture. He has given a picture of His generous grace in the table before us this morning, in the Lord's Supper. It's a picture, it's a sign, it's a seal of God's abounding grace. Are you here this morning as one who is overwhelmed? You think about yourself. You're overwhelmed by your sinful past, perhaps. You're sorry for it. Or perhaps uh, you're thinking of your your remaining sin still and your corruption. Are you here as one who's struggling with doubt, with questions, with fear and anxiety about God's response to your repentance? The Lord's Supper congregation is meant to show you that God will respond. He does respond to you in abounding grace. It confirms to you. Let it it confirm to you as, as a sacrament instituted by Christ Himself by which He nourishes and feeds our souls. Let it be a comfort to you. Let it be a confirmation to you of God's entire reversal of His judgment. Let the broken bread and the poured out wine symbolizing the broken body and the poured out, the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be a confirmation to us, dear believers, of God's complete removal of his anger from us because it was poured out on his Son. And let his invitation to take, eat, and drink in remembrance of him assure you that God in Christ thoroughly, thoroughly restores his favor to you. Yes, let the Lord's Supper this morning bring us all to rest in Christ and to fear not, to, but, be, but to be glad, to rejoice. Dear children of Zion, to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice not in yourselves, but in the Lord your God, the God who is so ready to respond to you with his generous, his superabounding grace. Amen.